Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You know that fresh produce is the best produce. That's why at Kroger, we invest in local farmers to bring you seasonal picks that taste fresh from the farm good, like sweet corn, refreshing watermelon, and juicy peaches. So whether you're a delivery lover, a picker-upper, or you shop in-store, your local produce always tastes 100% fresh, or you get a 100% refund guaranteed. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome everyone to the Take It Home Podcast. I'm your host, John LaRocca. And when you're listening to this podcast, Thanksgiving has already passed, and I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family and friends. This week on the Take It Home Podcast, I'm going to cover Clash of the Champions 13 Thanksgiving Thunder. This this event took place on November 20th, 1990. Um, I was thinking of, you know, because it's Thanksgiving weekend, um, I was trying to think of something to a retro show to record. And, you know, of course, I thought about you know, Stargate. I thought about Survivor Series, but that's been done so many times. So I started thinking about other um, events that took place in the month of November. And I want to give a shout out to at uh, Deep Cuts WCW Twitter. Um, one of my uh, favorite follows on Twitter. I like this. They always he's he or she whoever's running that site is already is always posting just fun clips of WCW from um, the worldwide uh, prime to classic stuff from World Championship Wrestling. And recently, they posted a clip of the Motor City Madman, and of course that was in the fall of 1990 when the big Motor City Madman was being brought in by the heel manager, Pauly Dangerously, to collect the bounty on Lex Luger. And at the time, Ole Anderson was booking WCW, and he was looking for green and cheap talent. And so I just kind of like, I started thinking about that time of, you know, the fall of 1990 after Halloween Havoc, the Black Scorpion angle, all that. So, Deep Cuts WCW on Twitter just inspired me to review a class of champions that always just made me scratch my head. Like, what the hell were they thinking, you know? What was Ole Anderson thinking when he put on Clash of Champions 13? And I started thinking about it more. And, like, still back in 1990, it's about the house shows, right? So Ole Anderson being an old-school promoter, booker, wrestler, his mentality is still trying to sell the house shows. It's not He's not trying to give you anything really big on free television and class champions was free on WTBS. But at the same time, you gotta give the fans something in this show. There are some, some wacky matches on there. And, and it just, it just blew my mind. And I just kept thinking about this time and like the decision to do a pa- Pat O'Connor Memorial tag team tournament for star K 90 Pat O'Connor, former NBA world champion, a great world champion, a great worker. Um, any young uh, listeners out there has never seen Pat, Pat O'Connor matches, go out of your way and you know find his matches on YouTube. There's a lot of matches of his on YouTube. And especially, you got to watch his uh, match with Buddy Rogers in the Comiskey Park. That match is just unbelievable. One of the best matches ever. 
Um, you see the great Buddy Rogers, and you see why Pat O'Connor was such a great talent um, and a great world champion. And so, you know, the the Starkey event coming up is in the Keel Auditorium, a very historic building. Uh, Sam Mushnick is going to be there, the legendary promoter of St. Louis, and they're going to honor him, and and they're doing this tournament, but like like the event is like. <laughs> Pat O'Connor is a single was never known for tag team wrestling, so why are you honoring him with a tag team tournament? It's just completely bizarre. And on the show, there's a qualifying match for the Pat O'Connor tag team tournament. And basically in the in the Pat O'Connor tag team tournament, it's not a bunch of tag teams from WCW. It's quote unquote tag teams from all over the world representing WCW and the United States is the United States Tag Team Champion Steiner Brothers. Representing Japan was the great Muda, Mr. Saito. Uh, New Zealand was the royal family, a.k.a. the New Zealand militia. Uh, there was uh, uh, Salman Hamishkov, excuse me, Victor Zangi from New Japan, but they were representing Russia. Um uh, and there's a team from Mexico. You got Ray Mysterio Jr.'s uncle, Ray Mysterio Sr. And Conan was there, Mass Conan. Uh, representing the UK was Norman Smiley and gentleman Chris Adams. And all that is fine, but not for Starcade. It would have been cool if it's something they did for television, something they did to build to a finals of the class champions. But we're going to get into all the wackiness of. You know, some Starcade 90 stuff, but mainly this Thanksgiving Thunder, Clash of Champions 13, Unlucky 13, and this was an unlucky watch for a lot. Though, re-watching it, I don't know if it just, it's been a while, and the matches were, some matches were better than I remembered, or, but it wasn't too bad, just like, for a viewer to be like, oh man, I gotta see this, you know, like, Oh, I got to tune. This is gonna be a big deal. It it did not feel like a big deal at all. Um, again, the date was November twentieth, nineteen ninety. Uh, it took place in Jacksonville, Florida. The venue was Jacksonville Memorial Coliseum, a great venue for WCW. Um, this crowd is always enthusiastic when they go to Jacksonville, um, and they were here too. Like they were really into the show. They're really hot, you know, excited to see the stars of WCW. Um, Especially Sting and and Flair and Sid Vicious, Lex Luger, the main stars there were going nuts for. And like I said, I wish they would have gave this crowd more. You know, um, this crowd would have been hot for some some bigger matches. They were hot for these matches they gave them, but man, can you imagine if they gave them like a a big quality main event with the Steiner Brothers? Did like a squash match with the Steiner Brothers. The attendance was five thousand people. The TV rating was 4.2. Now, think about that right now. You know, we're, you know, we're analyzing every little rating. And I granted, there's not as many TV chan- channels as there was now, as there is now. But, you know, still 4.2 for a, a show like this, which really doesn't deserve a 4.2. Um, that is down from Clash 12. Clash 12 was down, was five, was, was a five share, five points. 5.0, and that show had a lot of interest because that they just started the Black Scorpion angle. Um, there was a Luger Flair match on uh, on free television. Uh, Clash 11 before that was 4.1, so this did a little better than Clash 11. Though Clash 11 is a better show, uh, a, a, a very good Clash of Champions. So I definitely recommend that. Minus the one of the worst main events ever in Clash Champions history, and one of Ric Flair's worst matches in his career versus the Junkyard Dog. But other than that, the rest of the show is is pretty good. Clash Ten, the the historic clash for uh, you know the Horseman turning on Sting, uh, the 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 wacky Cactus Jack versus Bill Maskers match uh, that did four point five, and Clash Nine, which which has my favorite match of all time, Ric Flair versus Terry Funk, I quit match, did a 4.9. So it's kind of give you like an idea like where WCW is at. And, and you know, night after Halloween Havoc, 
WWE stuff got really cold, really dark. It got dark. Like the production got dark. Like the if I remember, like the show looked so dark on television. And I think the main event of Hollywood Havoc '90 really hurt WCW is when they did the Sid Vicious for Sting match. They had the fake sting with barry windham as sting and all that it just got it got wacky it got too wacky i think it drove a lot of people away um it was kind of hard from the cover and plus the, the black scorpion angle just ended up being a flop um uh, it was already a, it was people were already done with it at this point you know it just got ridiculous with the magic and there's a lot of magic on this show which we'll talk about so without further ado let's get into this card, Class Champions 13, Thanksgiving Thunder. Match number one was the Freebirds with Little Richard Marley, also known as Rocky King, a longtime enhancement talent. Um, he was their roadie. This is when the Freebirds were doing the glam rock days with the makeup and everything. I know a lot of people don't like this type, this 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 version of Freebirds, Michael Hayes, Jimmy Garvin with the glam rock, but. You know, being like a kid growing up in the '80s and stuff, like I, I, I dug it. You know, I kind of, I kind of got a kick out of the roadie. Um, and it was kind of looking back, it was kind of cool to see Rocky King get something because you know he's been a long time local jobber and and you know they gave him something. You know, and they they wrestled the the Wild Isles Southern Boys, Tracy Smothers and Steve Armstrong, a very underrated tag team. Um, they were hot in 1990, and when Dusty Rhodes came in as a booker in January of 1991, he decided that the Southern boys were just too Southern. They needed to appeal to, you know, a world a worldwide you know audience. So they changed their tag team name from the Southern Boys to the Young Pistols, and they're from Wyoming, and they just never really recovered. Um, never, never guess they just, yeah, they never really were as hot as they were in 1990 when they were these Southern boys. <laughs> um, and granted, I know like the Confederate flag and all that stuff just nowadays just, 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 just wouldn't work. But you know, back then, you know, like they were excited. I mean, I didn't, I didn't understand the whole stuff. You know, I wouldn't, I wasn't at a. I mean, when I was a kid at that time, I wasn't thinking like, you know, well, that, that that flag's offensive, or, you know, I just that that you know, I just think that's Dukes of Hazard, you know, and um, but to me, they were just an exciting tag team, and they always had really good matches with the Freebirds, um, Clash Eleven. I talked about um, the opening match on that show is a very hot match between the Southern Boys and the Freebirds. Uh, they also wrestled in a, in a match on Clash 12, the opener. It felt, it felt like a lot of clashes were opening with uh, the Freebirds and the Southern Boys. Um, even into 90, 1991, Super Brawl, the first Super Brawl, the fir- opening match is the Freebirds versus the Young Pistols for the, at the time, vacated United States Tag Team Championship. The, these teams are just married to the get together, but they always had good matches. Um, this... The match is only uh, four minutes and 50 seconds. A lot of these matches, being a two-hour show, a lot of short times. Uh, the S- Wrestling Observer star rating, I kind of have I've added this to my reel on this show. Um, two and a half stars, Dave gave that. Um, it was a fun match. Uh, a lot of, is, of course, a lot of action. Originally, this was supposed to be a six-man tag team match. It was going to be the Southern Boys and Ellie Gigante versus the Freebirds and Bobby Eaton. But the Freebirds got on the mic and they gloated about why Eligante's not there. So they, you know, basically hinted that they had something to do with that. So the referee said, well, it's not going to be a three on two. It's going to be a two on two. So they cooked Bobby Eaton out of the ringside area. And that's all we saw Bobby Eaton, which sucks because he's at the time one of the best wrestlers in that company. And I also think, I don't know what happened, why Eligante maybe was hurt. Uh, but. I think what actually would have been a really fun six-man tag team match, even with Eligante in there. I know he was very limited and, of course, very green. and you know. But I think if anyone can make Eligante look good, it's going to be you know Bobby Eaton if they, if they, you know, for key spots. But it didn't happen. But, but what we got was a really good tag team match. Um, again, hot action. Uh, 
Steve Armstrong did a great dive onto Jimmy Garvin onto the rampway over the top rope onto the rampway. WCW had the long rampway to the ring, which I always liked. A lot of people don't like that. Um, um, if you're around my age, I'm 45. A lot of fans of you know my age, they and fans of WCW kind of love that rampway. Um, if you're a manager, you probably don't like it because you can only work like you know you know three sides of the ring, but you know, I always thought it was cool. I always thought they made them look like big stars, and they're coming on this, walking down this rampway to the ring. Um, Tracy Smothers was tripped on the outside by Little Richard Marley, and just ducked as he tripped. He stomped right into the DET from Michael Hayes, and really good finish, really, really, uh, really good opener. So I was like, oh shoot, yeah, I totally forgot how hot this match was, and the crowd, like I said, was going nuts for this. Big fans of the Southern Boys, they hated the Freebirds. And they gave them all action. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Match number two is more action. Brian Pillman pinned Nature Boy Boy Landell. The, the match time was five minutes and 52 seconds. Uh, the Wrestling Missouri star rating was three and a half stars. I don't know about that. I, 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 I would definitely give it a nice, maybe solid three, but three and a half seems a little bit too high. And I know you're like, John, it's just an extra half a star. What are you talking about? But, you know. I'm from a day when, you know, the five star actually meant something. Now it's just, just any, you know, they're just handing out five stars like it's like it's candy these days for any old mediocre matches. Um, I talked about the chemistry between the Freebirds and the Southern Boys. Pillman and Blake Landell had also great chemistry. Um, they have a real fun match to open up the Great America Bash 90. Um, and this was. Just as good, maybe a little bit better because it was kind of is a little more action packed. Um, they had a little shorter time, so they kind of went right into it. Um, Pillman at one point did a springboard twisting crossbody off the middle rope uh, to the outside, which you know stuff they weren't seeing on American television at the time. Pillman was adding a lot of stuff like that stuff in there. Uh, Pillman eventually won with the flying crossbody. Just a really, really good matchup. So. I know I got a bag on Clash 13, but you know, right right off the bat, we opened up with uh, two pretty good matches. And match number three was also a good match. Big Cat Curtis Hughes submitted Brad Armstrong, the Candyman at the time. I hated that gimmick. You know, it wasn't as bad as Arachnaman, which you would do like a year later. But you know, the Candyman, the guy that just comes and brings kid when he comes to ring, he he gives him candy. <laughs> It's just like, uh, Ole Anderson, what the hell are you thinking? The match was four minutes, 31 seconds. Star rating from the Observer was only a star. Uh, you know, I can't complain. It, but it was a, a good match. Uh, uh, Big Cat, Curtis Hughes, was a good young prospect. Of course, he later on became Mr. Hughes, which he, you know, became synonymous with that gimmick, not only in WSW, but he also did it in WWF at the time in, like, 1993. Um, you know, this match is just, just good booking here. You got the green young powerhouse and big cat and you put them in with the smooth as can be veteran Brad Armstrong, who you know is going to go in there, do his job to make big cat look good. And, and he did because Brad Armstrong, one of the best workers and one of my favorite work, uh, wrestlers of all time. And he's, he's just always, always spot on to everything. And Big Big Cat did this cool multiple backbreaker spot with the Armstrong looked great, and then finally he finished off Armstrong with the torture rack. 
because uh, they're setting up a few with Big Cat and Lex Luger. Of course, Lex Luger is uh, his finisher is the Torturek. I may mention earlier that you know with the Motor City Madman, the Night Stalker, Master Blasters, Ole Anderson was going for green, cheap talent. You could throw Alan Iron Eagle in there, but the guy I thought was really worth a, a, a look and a sign and a good, a good sign, good signing of a young guy is big cat. I thought he could have been successful as the big cat, you know, but I, like he really, really found his, his spot as the Mr. Hughes gimmick, the, the bodyguard gimmick. And I thought he did a great job, especially when they put him with, um, um, Lex Luger. Of course, he first started off. Mr. Hughes was the bodyguard for Alexandra York, of the uh, of her of the York Foundation, and then when they turned Luger heel and put him with Harley Race, they gave him the bodyguard, Mister Hughes, and they said that Alexander York and Harley Harley Race made a deal, and they and they got this you know Harley Race got the services of Mister Hughes, and that just made a better combo. They you know I wish it lasted a lot longer, but again, <laughs> I know as I was back on this show, we had three three good matches to start the show, so you know. But here comes some goofiness. I mean, this match, next match, match number four, wasn't that bad. Um, it's Z-Man, Tom Zank pinned Brian Lee with a top rope drop kick. Match time was only three minutes, 10 seconds. Uh, the, the, the wrestling was a star rating was, was a star. Uh, this was Brian Lee's debut in WCW, but he was not under contract. Uh, you know, Brian Lee was a good prospect. You know, tall, um, Tall blonde guy. Of course, later on he would become uh, uh, chains. He would become the fake Undertaker. Before that, um, uh, Brian Lee would be you know you know uh, a very important part of the early early part of uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. At first as a Bayface, and then and then a, as a heel with uh, Tammy Sitch as his manager. Um, I always liked Brian Lee as a as a especially when he was in the stud stable with uh, Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden. Eventually, Jimmy Golden was out of the group. I don't know, maybe just went back home to Al, you know Alabama. I don't know, but it was end up being Robert Fuller and uh, Brian Lee. But I always liked the stud stable. I liked Brian Lee. He was a good young prospect. This was uh, basically a tryout match on national television. Uh, and it, you know, he was, Lee was working hard here. You know, like I say, he's like a big guy. He's like, what, 6'5", 6'6". Six, six. And he just takes, you know, out of the corner. Z-Man hits this Beal, and Brian Lee just goes flying. Takes this great big bump off that Beal. You know, gets great height. Man, it made Z-Man look like just superhuman. Uh, and Z-Man... <laughs> Apparently, Brian Lee forgot he was supposed to feed back out, and Z-Man was going to jump to the top rope, you know, facing towards the fans, and do like a twisting crossbody onto Brian Lee. But Brian Lee just forgot to be there, and all you do see is just Z-Man just jump to the top rope, twist, and crash. No wire in the pool. The Jacksonville fans start laughing. It's because it looked awkward, right? It looked like, yeah, something, something, something mess got messed up there. Uh, it looked to me Brian Lee forgot the forgot forgot where to be, forgot the spot, and that's where the kind of match went south. And there's the moments, and then you know, <laughs> Z Man quickly finished it with the drop kick, and you know, Z Man at the time. Was kind of floating in WCW after you know early on 1990, they put him with Brian Pillman. They won the U.S. Tag Team Championships. Uh, once they lost the U.S. Tag Team Championship in uh, in uh, May of 1990 to the Midnight Express, Z-Man was just kind of floating. He was kind of just in the mid card. Um, Great American Bash 90, he was destroyed by Vader, who made his WCW debut. Uh, I used to just joke that every time there was like a new Big heel, they would throw Z-Man out there to get his ass kicked. You know, Clash um, Clash 12, the one before this. You know, you have Stan Hansen coming into WCW. He destroys Z-Man on Clash 12. Um, 
a year later on uh, Hollywood Havoc 91, the Halloween Phantom end up being Rick Rude. Rick Rude destroyed Z-Man on that pay-per-view. So, like, any big heel was that was debuting was going to just destroy the Z-Man on the on, on the first match in. But at, the, but at the time, around this time, you know, Ole Anderson got behind Z-Man. It was giving him a win streak. Uh, he was winning matches with that flying drop kick. And he eventually won the... Um, WWE television title from R. Anderson on television in a very good match. And I was into it. You know, I was into Z-Man. Like, oh, because, you know, sh- go figure. Showing a guy winning on television. Uh, definitely going to, you know, make your kid notice. And I noticed he was on a winning streak. And I'm like, when the match was signed um, and announced that they're going to have a match with a TV title. And, and I'm like, this is it. He's been on a roll. He's going to win. And he sure enough did. I just remember. I always remember that match and it's a very good tv match and um it was filmed early in december but it was actually aired right after um the starcade 90 um pay-per-view and you know z-man won with this flying drop kick on the top rope it was it was uh it was it was great stuff um so but then Dusty Rhodes came became the booker and was like, yeah, I don't like, I'm not a fan of this Z-Man guy being my TV champion. And he quickly went to what he knows is Arn Anderson back as a TV champion again. And of course he ends up, uh, Arn Anderson ends up uh, having it for a while till he loses to beautiful Bobby at class, uh, sorry, Super Raw 1 in May of 19, 1991. Now match number five was Michael Wall Street pinning Star Blazer with the Wall Street Clash, a.k.a. Samoan Drop, Four minutes of 48 seconds. Before the match started, it they had a promo with Michael Wall Street and Alexandra York. This is Alexandra York's debut. Uh, she's not his manager. She's his financial advisor. Um, he Michael, Mike Rotunda, ended up inheriting a bunch of money. He invested it, and now uh, he legally changed his name to Michael Wall Street. He has his advisor, who Alexander York, who has a computer. She's gonna like log in the strategy. The computer's gonna write out his his path to victory and also predict how long it take to win this match. And I believe in this promo, she she said that he would beat uh, Star Blazer in under five minutes, which which he did. Uh, Star Blazer, <laughs> mask a masked gentleman, was just Tim Horner in a mask. Tim Horner, I, you know, I, he's a solid guy, solid, a solid worker, reliable worker, uh, a good guy on the card, good guy, veteran guy to put in with the young talent to get beat, and you know, I I get like, yeah, let's put him in the mask. You know, he's not that charismatic, but like, even when the mask, he just sometimes. I've seen this happen before when you have a guy who's not that charismatic, right? You throw a hood over him, and all of a sudden that like becomes like a like a shield for them, and they can they can break out. That happened to uh, Mark Smith, aka Bison Smith, um, in all pro wrestling. Um, you know, Mark Smith was this big big country boy, uh, big guy who just didn't have any charisma. All of a sudden they th- they put this mask on, called him Super Story Two Thousand. All of a sudden. He started having the body language out there, and the charisma was coming out. And eventually, he you know lost the mask and ended up going to Japan, Bison Smith and Noah, and he just found himself. You know, that didn't happen here with Tim Horner as Star Blazer. It just came out in this little goofy walk. <laughs> it was just like, oh man, um, this match was just fine some weird moments. Honestly, I, I think they didn't need to have this match. I think instead of, you know, having the interview with Michael Wall Street, they could have just done the vignette of how he became Michael Wall Street, etc. Which they announced that they're gonna show how he became Michael Wall Street on World Championship Wrestling. Why not show the vignette here on Class of Champions and then advertise because you need something for people to tune in on Saturday. Advertise, hey, we're going to see this new Mike Rotunda, a.k.a. now Michael Wall Street, you know, make his, you know, in-ring debut with this new name on our show. But but this match was just kind of there. Now, this is where this 
this show starts really slipping down a very steep steep slope match number six match i mentioned earlier the qualifying match the pat o'connor memorial tag team tournament the africa finals colonel de clerk the future rocco rock of public enemy and sergeant kruger ray apollo slash the future doink the clown wbf versus the beast who is bill tab a longtime enhancement talent from you know, World Championship Wrestling and Kalua, who I don't know who who that was. I don't. I try, try to find some history on him. I couldn't find. Um, it wasn't the same Kalua from up north in the Savoldi area. So I, I, I'm guessing this guy was from Georgia, Florida, Indies. Uh, match was four minutes and forty eight seconds. This <laughs> day gets match a negative quarter star. No, they don't blame him for that. Um, you know, this match at first, you know, you had the clerk, uh, excuse me, Rocco Rock was uh, doing some high-flying stuff to kind of, you know, he's doing a lot just to get noticed by uh, by Ole Anderson and to get a job. The fans were into the, into the beast. Bill Tab, Bill Tab is, you know, really uh, tall, thick. Uh, african-american wrestler and he had you know social intensity out there it's a big clothesline big power slam they were into him you know they were into the big guys um and then this match just completely fell apart at one point there was like no tag made and the referee's like you guys are not tag and it just looked just clutchy as hell it just kept falling apart eventually you know colonel de clerk and sergeant kruger won the match and moved on to Starcade and they got destroyed by the Steiner brothers in the opening round. Uh, but yeah, it's just like, what a waste of time. This was what a waste of television time for four guys that are not even on your, on your, on your roster to do some bogus tournament that just, just doesn't even honor Pat O'Connor. Cause again, Pat O'Connor was not a known for his tag team wrestling. You know, he's known for being one of the greatest NWA world champions. So, it's just frustrating as hell. Frustrating as hell. And this match was just not good. Match number seven, my guy, Total Package Lex Luger, pinned the Motor City Madman in two minutes and 34 seconds. Um, Meltzer gave this match a dud. Yeah. As much as I love Lex Luger, I got to admit, this match was a dud. But not, honestly, no fault of Lex Luger. I'm not, you know, you're probably like, oh, LaRocca, you just think, you know, he's one of your favorites, so you can never knock Lex Luger. I can, trust me, I can knock Lex Luger. But Motor City Madman was, like, working with a, just a big old mattress bed, right? Like, <laughs> so the story is, Polly Dangerously is bringing in Motor City Madman to collect the bounty that Stan Hansen put on Lex Luger after Halloween Havoc. Uh, and it just sounds stupid because, you, you know, I don't imagine Stan Hansen needing to ha- put a bounty on anyone, right? If Stan Hansen wanted someone taken out, he would just do it himself. Uh, I was doing my research on Motor City Madman. I remember, like, he was only here for a short time in WCW. He was gone pretty quickly by early in 91, if not by January of 91. And I started doing my research. And he was a big lug. Like, he's just a big guy. He's pretty big, like 6'7", looked like. Massive. He wasn't, like, muscular. Just a big, brawny dude. Um, I mean... He looked powerful and intimidating, but I think fans in the, in the '90s still were still like about is about the the muscular bodies and stuff. So at the time, I remember when I was like, "Oh man!" I saw it like on his vignette when he's like in the pool hall and beating up dudes, and and he looks huge next to the poly. I'm like, "Oh man, I can't what's this guy? Can't wait this guy in the ring? Like, he's just a giant, right?" But he's wearing like this big old leather jacket. Of course, when he debuts, he just comes, takes it off. He's big and he's and he's like a massive guy, but he's just so flabby. It's like, yeah, it's like a time I was like, ah, this guy can't compete with Lex Luger, who's jacked. Uh, but doing my research on Motor City Madman is that he was from a tag team called the Motor City Mad Men, managed by Paulie Dangerously back in 1987, and his tag team partner was the future 911 in ECW. So I thought that was. Very interesting, you know, 
Paul Paul Lee loyal to some of his early guys he he managed and you know got Motor City Man Man a, a job for a short time in in WC, WCW and end up uh, finding a a a very uh, very big spot for nine one one and ECW that was like a you know in that what ninety four ninety five you know call nine one one he'd come out and choke slam and people just would eat up in ECW so that, that was kind of Cool to see Paul Dietrich kind of take care of some of his old charges. Um, before the match, there was actually a promo. Lex Luger talked about Lex, talked about Stan Hansen, Dr. Match of Starcade coming up. Big Cat ends up uh, confronting him. Luger just punches him and just starts making his way to the ring. As Luger's coming out, Pyro's coming off. Um, from behind, you see just Big Cat stalking, right? It looked pretty cool visual, come th- you know, just because Luger's. Does not see Big Cat coming from behind. They start fighting. Luger fights off Big Cat. Motor City Madman, you know, attacks Luger. Uh, like I said, Motor City Madman is just a heavy lug, man. Luger tries to go for a body slam. He goes up. Motor City Madman goes up so heavy. At the, Luger looked like he was going to break his back. Uh, and at one point, Luger suplexes Motor City Madman back from the outside back to the ring and just gets a muscle him up. Also, you know, DT motor city madman. It's just poor Luger was like, what the hell, you know? And the finish is Luger wins the clothesline and most man is already bumping back early before the clothesline. It just looked like, just made it look like shit. And crowd still went nuts. Cause you know, Luger is a, a start in there, you know, was a big star of WSW. So, they're they're excited to see him, but man, I was so bummed by this match and just you know glad Luger won as a kid, but I was like, oh man, this is you know even back then I was like, ah, this should have been more, it should have been a bigger deal, but it wasn't. Master Rate, the Renegade Warriors defeated the Nasty Boys by disqualification. This match went four minutes and forty nine seconds. Dave gave this match a three quarter of a star. Apparently, Nasty Boys were on a per match deal or a very short term deal. because uh, they got they they got offered WWF and they gave their notes to leave. So Jim Ross immediately started to bury the nasty boys on commentary, how they're scared of the Na- of the Steiner brothers. And the match was just kind of there. I you know what? I was never a fan of the Renegade Warriors. I just never got into their work. Though I did see some stuff in Puerto Rico, I thought that was pretty good. But back in WCW, I was like, man, just just can never get into them. I thought they were okay. I just, did, you know, they're I guess they're fine for the mid card team. But like Halloween Havoc '90, man, what the hell? They went like 17 minutes with the Freebirds in that show. It's like, dude, come on. They're just not exciting. They're just kind of. They, neither guy had much charisma. Chris Youngblood maybe had a little bit more charisma. Mark Youngblood had no charisma at all. And it's just kind of just just there. Uh, and like during the match, the Steiner brother just runs out and attacks, attacks the Steiners, and and they and the Steiners start the uh, Nasty Boys start running off. So just really just trying to bury the the Nasty Boys because they're just leaving pretty soon here, like in a few weeks. Uh, match number nine is a very famous match: Sid Vicious versus the Night Stalker, Night Stalker, aka the future Adam Bomb in the WWF. Uh, Wrath and WCW, uh, part of the Brian Clark, part of the Chronic Tag Team. Um, this match went three minutes and thirty seconds. It was, it was and Dave gave this match a negative four star. Again, one of the worst matches ever on U.S. television. Uh, why this match was booked with a very green Night Stalker big guy. With Sid, who is a very big guy, very charismatic, right? Awesome look. But he really needs dance partners to have a good match with. Like, um, but if it's a squash match, it's fine. But this wasn't a squash match. This was supposed to be pretty competitive. Uh, story of the match, Night Stalker was going for Sid's ribs. Those And the, the ribs, of course, Paul Jr. may notice about those ribs were hurt. And his lungs were punctured back in 1990s. True story. Um, <laughs> it just fell apart. Like the big cat comes out to text Sid for some reason, and Nice Stalker has this axe and tries to hit 
Sid with it. Sid just grabs it and hits nice dark with it. He doesn't hit him with the, the, the spike, the blade point, but just like the handle. Right from the referee, Fred Atkins is like, what the fuck? All right, whatever. And then one, two, three. Sid gets the win. And then Big Cat and Nice Harker attacks Sid and Sid fight. It's just fucking ridiculous. Um, eventually, this sets up uh, a match at Starcade with Sid Vicious reuniting with his skyscraper tag team partner, Dan Spivey, to face. As originally, it was booked Night Stalker versus the Big Cat, but they end up. I don't know what happened with Night Stalker. May just figured, oh shit! What after this match, we can't have him in that match. Let's put the Motor City Madman in, and just the the skyscraper just destroy, destroy the those two guys. And crowd loved it. I remember that in Starcade Nine. They were hot for that. But what a waste of Sid Vicious on Starcade, right? What a waste. Um, next up was a Freebirds interview with Tony Schiavone. Freebirds, of course, gloating about their win over the Southern Boys early in the night. Uh, they gloat again about Eligante. Out comes the Southern Boys to confront them. And then, in a surprise, Eligante's there. And he runs off the Freebirds. And, you know, they kind of hype up some future six-man tag team matches. Kind of wish it was on this show, but strange. But at least they got the show like, hey, no, he is here. So we didn't false advertise him, but he, technically you guys did. You know, so anyways, uh, sets up stuff for the house shows between those those two teams. Match number 10. Yes, there's 11 matches on this card total. U.S. Tag Team Champion Steiner Brothers defeated the Magnum Force. One minute and 59 seconds. They gave it a star rating. Now, on November 5th edition of World Championship Wrestling, a team named Magnum Force debuted, and they were announced that they're going to meet the, the Steiners, the class champions. And they had like a Steiners, that little inset promo during this squash match on television, talking about the Magnum Force and everything, and the Nasty Boys. But these guys were so bad that they were never booked again. And the Magna Force that was on Workshops Wrestling on November 5th was replaced by local enhancement tag team, the Ring Lords of Speeding Gonzales and Ring Lord Rick. Yeah, that's their names. Uh, and they just changed the Ring Lords' names to Magna Force, and they were end up being Magna Force 1 and 2. Uh, Ring Lords were a good, solid, you know, enhancement team. Uh, they I thought they always did their job really well. They're they're good. They I enjoyed them in South Atlantic Pro Wrestling, George Scott's promotion, especially during 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 the the last year of that promotion's run. Um, we used to get that here in San Jose on Sports Channel America, and they would face a tag team called the uh, um, uh, was it the TNT the TNT? I think it was Tommy Seabolt and T- Tommy Angel. Uh, you know, they had some good matches. I always liked the Ring Lords because they had awesome mullets. At least Speaking's always did. And yeah, they always did their job well. And then, but it was just so funny. Like, all of a sudden, like, I remember, like, Magnet Force. I remember, like, thinking, like, as a kid, I'm like, that's not Magnet Force. It's the Ring Lords. Why are they called the Magnet Force? Anyways, they destroy, Steiner Brothers destroys these guys. Uh, uh, Scott hits an awesome Frankensteiner on Rick, Ring Lord, Ring Lord Rick for the win. Uh, and now Kane and Nasty Boys trying to get revenge, but the Steiners end up kicking their ass and setting them off. Again, this is just, you know, this is one of the last appearances of the Nasty Boys because they gave their notice and they're gone. Uh, November, two days later on in the Omni in Atlanta, the Steiner Brothers beat them in the Steiner, beat them in the cage match. And then on November 29th, Rick Steiner in a handicap match with the Nasty Boys in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And then on December 11th, uh, the Nasty Boys made their WWF debut on a WWF Superstars taping. And here's the match. Like, okay, instead of doing Nasties versus the Renegade Warriors, instead of doing Steiner Brothers versus Magnum Force, you know the Nasty Boys are leaving. Just do the cage match here. Do or do do a do a singles match or that's a do a tag team match a rematch from that great match the Steiner Brothers and Nasty Boys had at at Halloween Havoc '90, rematch it on the Clash '13, and then you could do a finish where the the Steiners are just beating the crap out of the Nasties. The Nasties finally do just just run off, and that's why you have the cage match two days later in Omni if you want to, or just fucking do the cage match on television. 
you know, give us a main event that wreck. Man, we can't wait to see. It's just, like I said, just a lot of these matches. Like, what the fuck was Ole Anderson doing? Next up was a live Danger Zone hosted by Paul Lee Dangerously. It was supposed to be a Sting and Black Scorpion face-to-face. Though they never go face-to-face. And the Black Scorpion is going to demonstrate his dark magic. Is Sting agree not to interfere? Out comes this guy, and, and he just doesn't, you know, he doesn't look like a wrestler, he's a skinny little guy in this black scorpion mask. And he starts, he pulls off out this plant in the crowd. This guy, you should see this guy, he pulls out just don't plant overacting. Like, he's like, oh man, we're gonna just perform out there. And black scorpion puts this box on this guy's head, twists it around, it looks like he's twisting this guy's head around. And then he picks him up, throws him in this cage, throws a blanket over the cage, pulls it off, and now the guy's a leopard or something. It's just fucking ridiculous. And then Sting goes to chase after Black Scorpion, Black Scorpion jumps in this other thing and disappears. It's what a just stupid thing. Of course, Black Scorpion famously ends up being Ric Flair because they had no way out of this. And when they need something done, they just call on Ric Flair and, and you know, they start, like I said, it started, this whole Black Scorpion thing was really interesting when it started. It just, they just, the only answer had no plan who it was. He like, he's himself. He, you know, he's getting pressure from Turner and he kind of like threw something on paper, staying versus the Black Scorpion and they're like, oh, we like that. So he created this mystery of who the Black Scorpion was he should have made a play for Eddie Gilbert. I always say Eddie Gilbert should have been the Black Scorpion because the history between Sting and Eddie Gilbert was was established already in WCW in 1989. And, you know, I thought that would have been, been great. And Eddie would have been great in that role. Match number 11 was uh, the best match on the card. The match was the, the Horseman, Ric Flair, Arne Anderson, Against, well, the match was a member of the Horsemen, either Ric Flair or Ron Anderson versus a member of Doom, Butch Reed or Ron Simmons. And the winner of that match, now, if the Flair, the Horsemen, or the Horsemen win, they get a tie team title shot at Starcade 90, and also Taylor Long becomes their chauffeur for a day. Uh, and if the Doom wins... They get Ric Flair's Rolls Royce and and yacht. <laughs> it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Ends up being a coin flip within the ring. It ends up being Ric Flair and Bush Reed. And of course, Ric Flair and Bush Reed had really some really good matches in the eighties. Uh, you know, this wasn't as good as those matches, but it's still a, a really good match. And compare a lot of matches on this card, it looked like an all time classic. They uh, gets match three three and a three quarter star, and um, yeah. I would go a little lower. I would go like three, three and a quarter, three and a half. But yeah, you know, like I'm not gonna really argue too much with three, three and a quarter star. Uh, as I mentioned, it's coin flip to see who was gonna be competing in this match, Flair and Reed. Um, there's a cool spot where, towards the finish, where Arn and Tay Long are arguing on the outside. The referees, Nick Patrick's in between them to kind of calm them down. Uh, uh, Butch Reed is a backdropping. Uh, Flair the top rope as the referee looks up, sees Flair crushing down on him. He, you know, Flair crushes him. This allows some shenanigans to happen with Ron Simmons coming in, hitting a big clothesline on on uh, on on Flair and then celebrating. Turner's back, like okay, we got us in the bag. With an arm comes in, hits Butch Reed with a chair, rolls Flair on top, and they end up winning. Um, like I said, this is a good match. This is a, a Good match. Of course, Flair and Reed have chemistry together. Reed, you know, obviously older. Knees aren't what they were, were, but he still was able to really put on a good performance. And Flair was really working his ass. So you can tell Flair's like, dude, Flair, we need you to say this damn show. Right? I don't know if anyone told him that, but I'm sure he just sensed it. Like, he's probably just sitting there like, what the hell? You got to get these fans something. Or these, none of these 5,000 fans are probably ever coming back. So... And he went out there and they had a good match. The crowd was really going uh, 
really going in crazy for this match, really into it. Uh, so <laughs> they win the Horsemen, and then on television, I think a week later or maybe two weeks later, I think it was a week later actually. Yeah, f- you know, dead segments where you see. Tay Long chauffeuring Ric Flair around. He ends up going to this, like, I don't know, rough area wherever they were at in Atlanta. And all you see is Ric, Ric Flair being taken out of his limo and jumped. And we don't see him again. And at Starcade 90, he's not around. And Barry Windham ends up taking Ric Flair's spot in the tag team title match with Doom in the street fight. And that match is a great match. But then later on, Ric Flair ends up being Splash Scorpion, and no one really explains what the hell happened with, uh, with all that with Doom and Ric Flair and all that stuff, and that's just classic WCW for you. So, all right, that is my review of Clash Champions 13, Thanksgiving Thunder. Nice little look back on one of the strangest wrestling cards ever on United States television. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks again for uh, Deep Cuts WCW on Twitter for inspiring me to review some clash 13 it was the fun to look back and if you want to follow me on twitter or hit me up on twitter uh if it's still around and i, I guess i kind of like the joke i've been saying these days um hit me up at laraka jl all right everyone enjoy the rest of your holiday weekend and be safe take care Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.